Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Content Experience Show podcast. We are so happy to have you here with us. I am here with the always amazing Randy Frisch from Uberflip. Randy, I have to hand it to you on this episode because you did something that I love when marketers do and that most marketers actually don't do, which is kind of reveal some of the bumps and bruises that they take on sort of their content path. I My hat's off to you for sure on this one. Thanks, and I you know what I, it was a bit of a risk, I will admit, but you know I, I think it's it, it was an interesting opportunity as well. So to give everyone some context, what Anne and I are talking about, I invited onto this podcast uh, someone who was a prospect for us along the process at Uberflip, where they had a bad experience. They were outreached to at the wrong time by sales teams, and it just, you know, they had a bad vibe from it, and they were getting really annoyed. But the thing that happened that doesn't always happen is Tony Holbrook actually reached out to me on LinkedIn and let me know. And we started to have this great dialogue about what we could do better and how we could approach it better. And I said, you know what, why don't we just talk about this on a podcast? Because it's it was such an interesting opportunity to learn from what that customer experience is. And honestly, I, I felt like I learned a lot even beyond that instance, just from how Tony approaches content. Oh, totally. No, he gives some really, really great advice about, you know, just timing and relevancy and, you know, giving value rather than selling, which is funny because we've been talking about this a lot in you know, I just don't think it can be reinforced enough, though. I still think from my perspective, and Randy, you know, let me know how you feel based on what you're seeing. It still feels like we're trying to just as a collective community sell too much rather than provide that value. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the light at the end of the tunnel here, though, is that that's what content's for, right? I think we just have to start to, and we talked a lot about this in the, in the podcast this week. But we have to start to move our mindset away from this idea that content marketing is something that's purely for inbound versus understanding that content can be used at every stage of that buyer journey. That's something that Tony talks about a lot. You know, for, for context for everyone tuning in, Tony is the VP of marketing and commerce for Ingram Micro Commerce, which is uh, one of the products that Ingram Micro had brought together with this offering to solve. And he oversees all aspects of their marketing globally for the business unit, including demand gen, creative services, sales and marketing. And he really brings this refreshing look uh, to how we can use content as a way to create engagement. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, he really has some great advice, some great tips and tricks. Um, so what do you say we bring him in so he can talk about all of it? That's right. This is, this is a fun one. Get ready for those bumps and bruises, everyone. Tony. 
Tony, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're really, really excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. So just to kick us off, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah. So uh, currently, I guess for the last um, last four years, I've been um, I've been working for a company called Ingram Micro. Um, a division of that um, started as a company called Shipwire, um, kind of focused on the third-party logistics space. Their, their tenant was uh, enterprise logistics for everyone, so sort of democratized um, enterprise class logistics and sort of that, you know, next day fulfillment, that sort of stuff and trying to bring it to the everyman to be able to, to offer that. And so I was actually a, a, a client of them um, when I was working with another company and, you know, uh, relationships being what they are over a few years, got back in touch with the company and ended up getting recruited by them. And uh, that was just after Shipwire got acquired by uh, by Ingram Micro. And, you know, fast forward a little bit and Ingram Micro's made some changes. And now we've combined a bunch of entities, Shipwire and a bunch of the other companies into a, a division called Ingram Micro Commerce and Lifecycle Services. And um, so I'm in charge of the uh, marketing and, and commerce software development portions of that for the global entity. That's a wild ride. And I, I've known some other people at Shipwire. We should, we should figure out if we know some people from back in the day uh, at another time. But there's actually an interesting story here for everyone tuning in as to how Tony and I got connected. Uh, now, I, Tony, I'm going to share this with people and we're just going to go, you know, no BS type of day. Uh, really, really dig into what happened, the story here, which is that my team at Uberflip was, you know, very excited about potential to potentially work with Ingram uh, microcommerce and started outreach to Tony and his team. And I'm going to be honest, we went too far and, you know, too many attempts to cold call email, hit you up in every way possible. Uh, and I think we went over the limit and to the point where I admire Tony, he actually reached out to me. I think it was on LinkedIn, if I recall, and said, listen, Randy, like, this is too much, and I just think you'd want to know as CMO of a company when the when your team is you know kind of crossing that line of engagement that that starts to be annoying on the prospect side. And I'm the type of guy I love feedback, I love open communication. Tony and I hit it off. We had a whole bunch of back and forth, and as I was reading this thread, I was like, "This could be an amazing podcast." So, without further ado, Tony, like my apologies first on the record to everyone out there. And uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, what, what in this day of age is an ineffective channel. And then we hopefully get to what are some good channels to engage with, with prospects. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, for this was, this was part of the thing is the, the ineffective channel, I think these days has kind of become cold calling and it's, you know, it's, it's a very personal opinion. I mean, this is, this is just me, but a lot of companies have a lot of good success with this stuff and I'm not going to knock it. I think for the right people with the right talent and the right sort of internal systems, you know, the right tools and the right training and and, and business processes, um, I, I think it can work, but you know, too often you're just, you know, you're hit with this just completely irrelevant outreach by somebody who has no context for what your business is at a time that is completely inappropriate. And they, you know, more and more of these guys are trying to go up market in terms of the cold calling component of things. And they're trying to hit bigger fish and bigger executives and those type of things. And what they're trying to do is take an old model that worked on, you know, perhaps like analysts and consultants and some of the more sort of frontline teams that maybe would be responsive to a 15 minute quick chat 
But when you're reaching out to, you know, people that are, you know, directors and executives and VPs, they don't want to have a quick chat with you, you know, like they, they, they don't have time to have a quick chat with their wives or their husbands, like let alone some person that I have no idea for. Right. And so this has kind of been something that I've been, been the bane of my existence a little bit for the last two years, because I've seen it done, done well for the right markets. But then when you see a little bit of success, they try to apply it to everything and it just, it doesn't always work. And I think that's kind of what I saw here. And that's why, you know, Randy, I just reached out to you and I said, look, you know, they're, they're doing this. It's not going to work. It's not effective. And and here's another gap. So, you know, that's where I kind of wanted to, I, I want to make this better. Right. I, I, I don't like hearing from other people at the shows, you know, like these guys are just around harassing us. And a lot of these, a lot of the outreach teams that are doing this, they're good people. They mean well. They're just doing their job. They're trying to hustle and do their thing. It's just kind of maybe misguided in some cases or, or they don't have the right tool set. And that's where I think we just need to do some adjustments. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and first of all, so everyone knows, no one got fired over this. <laughs> we use this as a coaching opportunity here uh, and talk through it in terms of what what is an effective way to engage you know, the person on the other side. And it's, it's funny that you bring up, you know, this, this mindset of, you know, how do we connect in a, in a more authentic, genuine way at the right time in the right way. And if, if you go back last year, at one point I was sitting in on uh, our sales team, they were doing some training on like a, a Monday morning kickoff and they were mocking up a cold call situation. It was more of a discovery though. So once someone's engaged and I'm watching, they were actually talking about ABM. And, you know, the, the BDR was learning how they would, you know, ask the right questions to get the person to, to give. And it was a great role play, like, you know, great questions, great answers. And I went home and I was like, that was really well done. But the next morning, I remember someone phoned me and cold called me and asked me something tied to ABM. And I thought to myself, there is no way I'm talking to this person right now. <laughs> like, you know, and, and it made me look back to that outreach and say, okay, it's not genuine. It's we need to lead, as I said to our team, we, we're not going to get this feedback unless we give something first, right? Like we have to give something if we want to get something. And I think, I don't know your thoughts, Tony, but like, what are some of the things that people will give to you that result in you saying, okay, I do want to engage here? Yeah, you're, you're bang on, Randy. It's, you know, when, when somebody says, you know, it's almost like, like you're, 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 you're making deposits in the bank kind of thing, right? So for you starting as a net new, right? Like let's say you and me, Randy, right? Like say you're trying to reach out to me. You know, our relationship at this point is basically there's zero money in the bank, right? You have to make a deposit before you can make a withdrawal, right? And, and too often these people, they just want to go straight to the withdrawal, right? They say, can I have 15 minutes of your time? No, no, you can't. I'm sorry. Do you know how much that's actually worth to me? Not even in, in egotistical financial terms, but I don't have 15 minutes of time to give to you for you to satisfy your random, you know, inquiry or, or whatever it is. So when you flip that on its head, I've, I, you know, and I, I hope you don't mind. I'll, I'll give some examples of some good B2B companies that I, that I've, I've related with over the years. So there's absolutely there's a there's a company called Serious Decisions. They're kind of like the Gartner or the Forrester of um, sort of B two B marketing um, analysts. So these are all like like Randy. This would potentially be sort of the next step of your career, kind of thing, right? Like you'd go there and you'd advise these people, and they have like an analyst firm. And so my first initial interaction with that company, the first touch point, the first deposit they made in the bank was. 
Um, one of their guys, they did some research on it and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like an SDR. This was like an account executive, you know, somebody that ran a territory kind of thing. And he did some research into our company, realized that I was in charge of two facets at that point. It was product marketing and demand generation. Uh, and he pulled together sort of a curated set of, of industry data. Um, you know, they produced 20 page reports. He pulled out a one page sample of this and a one page sample of that curated this stuff together and sent me a very thoughtful email and said, Hey, I don't think you know who we are. You've never, I don't think you've ever reached out to us. At least I don't see it. I noticed that you're doing this. I noticed you're doing this. We just pulled this information. I thought it would be helpful. Of course, I'd love to have a conversation, but I just thought it would be helpful. And we'll start with that. And there was no, there was no ask. There was no next step. It was just a deposit in the bank. And that really, really resonated with me. And it got, and, and the content was so good. Like the product was so good that I read it and I'm like, yeah, I want, I want more. Now I understand that if I give you 15 minutes, what value I'm going to get back out of it. That's actually really fascinating and also a very amazing approach. And I think, you know, as you were sort of relaying that story, one of the things that kind of came to mind is, you know, you touched on the concept of how valuable time is. And you mentioned, you know, I don't have 15 minutes to give to you. But as soon as somebody presented something incredibly relevant to you, you made time for that. So I think that's interesting where a lot of times we say that we don't have time. But in reality, it's I don't want to make time for you because what you're presenting to me doesn't matter. But as soon as they presented some content to you that was relevant and was worth your time, you were willing to carve out that 15 minutes. Now, Tony, I know that content can be used sort of in terms as a replacement for some of those co-calling, as you had mentioned. Um, How do we not make some of those same cold calling mistakes that we then can sort of push into content? How do we not bring some of those bad habits and some of those bad best practices over into our content? Yeah, you know, the, uh, I'm, uh, my background is in sort of like IT and data and stuff like that. So I, I always go back to the accuracy of the data, right? It's kind of garbage in, garbage out. And I think this is amplified in the cold calling world. And, you know, actually the initial reason that Randy and I ended up talking was because it wasn't the fact that the guy was, was reaching out to me or even that. Like I'd had a bunch of conversations with Uberflip and you know it's it just was never the right timing but it was always a genuine conversation the thing that sort of pulled the trigger on this was the guy called me at 6 30 a.m and that to me showed just uh you know either he, he didn't check what it was or the data he was being served up and being triggered to make that phone call was not doing him it was not setting him up for success right so now if you apply that in the content world you know, I still get outreaches, you know, Ingram Micro is a big giant company. I get outreaches all the time for people trying to sell me product or uh, asking me to buy their product. And if they just looked at my LinkedIn page, they would realize that I'm not part of that division. There's nothing in my experience or my history that says that I am a, a, a technology distribution guy. I'm all e-commerce, all fulfillment. That's all I have ever been, right? So, you know, I think if you apply to the content world and the sharing of that sort of stuff, you have to have this underlying accuracy of data so that the team can actually be successful, right? Like tell them what industry I'm in, tell them, like try to educate them on the, on the pain points of what I'm feeling, you know, tee those type of data sources up and not superficial ones, not, um, you know, follower count on Instagram or, or anything like that. It, it has to be genuine. And I think Randy, you mentioned that earlier, you know, it, it has to be genuine. And for, 
for anybody who's doing cold calling and, and outreach, whether it's through a digital medium like email or you know through over phone, you need to understand who you're reaching out to. And the only way that you can get to that is either by building on that relationship over time or being provided with a good set of data at the beginning for you to kind of form at least enough of a picture and then just apply your kind of sales talent to uh, filling in the blanks and being sensitive about what you're assuming and and maybe asking probing questions when the time comes up. Nice. So it really is all about knowing your audience and really creating that experience that matters to them and actually provides something exactly like what you said, put something in the bank and you know makes a deposit um, of something of value. Um, before we get into sort of how you and your team have been able to implement some of these things. I'd, I'd love to take just a quick break and then come back and chat about all the efforts that you're in charge of and all the things that your team is doing in terms of content. How's that sound? Sounds good. Okay. We'll be right back. Intercom is the most comprehensive platform for business messaging. It automatically picks the best leads from your site traffic to boost your top of funnel, increase efficiency, and grow your business. The Intercom Messenger is customizable to match your brand and has a home screen that engages visitors with interactive content, a newsletter subscription button, lead capture, and more before they even start a chat. Intercom's chatbot also qualifies and routes the best leads to your sales team automatically. So you can keep avoiding the VP of sales or you could use Intercom. Start for free today at intercom.com slash growth. Again, that's intercom.com slash growth. Welcome back to Connex. We are here chatting with Tony Holbrook, and we spent the first half of this podcast really drilling into how much my team dropped the ball. So now, Tony, I get to flip it on you and say, like, teach us the right way. You know, or show us some of the great things that you and your team have done that I can learn from, I can take back to my teams, our listeners can take back to theirs. Uh, so maybe you can share with us some of the things that you're doing with content, maybe not specifically to arm sales, but I'd love to hear that, but really to arm your organization. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's the, there's the normal content development, you know, we spend, uh, we've been spending a lot of time this year thinking about like benchmarking, um, and, and industry data and industry trends. You know, I, I kind of think about it myself, you know, when I sit here and somebody's reaching out to me and saying, you know, you need the next, you know, marketing tool or, or whatever it is, I kind of go, okay, who else in my industry is using it? Have I run into it before? And, and that type of stuff. And so we've been spending a lot of time trying to pull together benchmarking data and trying to provide something back of value to the customers. So, you know, in, in, our, in our space, there's a lot of decisions that are made by brands and retailers on how many fulfillment endpoints to use, right? Do they use one distribution center in, in Los Angeles or Chicago, or do they have, you know, a two node network or a three node network or something like that? And it's always kind of this just random decision that kind of has to be made. And what we found is when we go back to both prospects and existing customers and we say, okay, you are a typical, say, consumer product goods brand, right? And you have this type of order volume and this type of product. Your industry and your benchmarks of people say, on average, they only need two distribution centers, and that covers 99% of the industry or 99% of, of, of the U.S. 
um, or you know, in this case, it's a three distribution or three node network, um, those type of things. And what I'm finding it does is it's it's not selling them anything. It's actually educating them and arming them with something to maybe go fight an internal battle that they're that they're going up against. But it's based on real data. It's not somebody coming into the room and saying, "This is what I think." It is based on the industry data and based on 20 other data points for 20 other companies exactly like us, this is what works and this is what doesn't. So we've been trying to arm the teams a lot with that sort of stuff. And what so it sounds, just to jump in there for a second, so is it more, in your case, industry data or is it more customer stories? Because I, I think those are, those are two things that people often get confused between industry data and customer stories as to what's the right piece at the right time. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a really good uh, difference. So the, the customer story, I find, comes in either very early on in sort of that exploratory phase, usually before people are ready to buy. I mean, like that's when it's, when it's valuable. Um, but the industry data is the thing that gets the hook. It's the thing that is, is triggering the need to change, I find. And that's the thing that will trigger that, that phone call or that, yeah, I'll give you 15 minutes because you're going to provide me back some value, right? And then the story about show me other like companies that have done similar things and how you've helped them are, like I said, good at the very beginning or good when they're starting to escalate internally and they're trying to socialize. Right. It's give me a story to go tell my CFO and that's the user story. That's the case study. Yeah, the, what you call the hook there, I believe. I often call in our, in, in our company, we have to sell the disruption, right? We have to sell why you should change, why things are changing around you, and why if we don't open up our eyes, you know, we're going to be left behind. Yeah, yeah, bang on. So, Tony, we've been talking a lot about the difference between sort of adding value versus selling. For companies who are really looking to make this shift from, you know, really just focusing on selling to really adding value, what are some tips that you would impart on them? Um, one thing that one thing that's been really effective for us when you're trying to add value, it's almost in a passive way. I don't I don't know really the right way to describe this, but I'll give you an example. So we used to have a, a webinar program. We were doing a lot of the uh, e-commerce fulfillment for the everyman, for the SMB market and, and everything. We did the cold outreach stuff, but we found we were getting the wrong people at the wrong times. And so instead, we flipped it on its head. And we had we had a program that was set up where we had two or three of our kind of top uh, top product experts. They would run webinars two, three times a week. And it was just sort of passive outreach, right? It was, it was a heavy cost for us as a business, right? We had to set up this, this studio in our office. We had to develop the content. We had to dedicate the resources and the software and everything to do this. But the engagement of that over time was amazing. And what we found is we would have one person from the company join this week and then two people from the same company in the subsequent weeks. And so it was this kind of passive, just let me put the value out there and I'll let you sign up for it when you're ready to go, right? And so there was this live interaction component that was available on a scheduled point, but there was always the recorded versions that were still there for you just to listen in while you're you know, on your drive to work or whatever it happens to be. But it was almost putting the value out there and letting them consume it when they felt it was right for them and making it easy to do so. Nice. I love the different formats and, and just making it easy for people to consume content on their own time. As a follow-up question to that, so in addition to sort of making that shift from selling to adding value, sometimes that can also make some of the metrics or some of the ROI that companies typically use to measure content a little bit wonky. How do you kind of help 
people understand that adding value doesn't necessarily mean a one-to-one sale, but it helps build out that pipeline and, and sort of, you know, ensures a consistent flow versus, you know, people who may be looking very much at like, okay, if we do this piece of content, what are we going to get from it immediately? Right. So it kind of builds out that pipeline and, and extends thing a little bit. How do you sort of reassure people that this is the right approach? Yeah, you, you got to stop looking at lead source. It's just, it's such a misleading metric that that first touch point is, is you know, the, the, the all savior. It's the thing that works the most. I mean, we are so sort of oblivious to what the actual true first touch point is. You know, somebody comes to your website and fills out a form. That form didn't close that business. Like you got to ask yourself, what made that person decide to go type that thing into Google or into or the URL into the browser to actually go do that? And so we used to we used to spend a lot of time talking about lead source, lead source, lead source. Over the last kind of twelve to twenty four months, I'm focusing on touch points. And like I, I really don't care whether they filled out a form to begin with or we met them at an event. I want to know a cadence, right? Like it's a consistency, it's a relationship. You know, if you go, you know, weeks without talking to your mom, she's going to let you hear it, and there's, you know, there's not that sort of. She's not going to think that that you're getting that value out of that sort of conversation, right? <laughs> but. <laughs> if you have this consistent drumbeat, this consistent trickle of, you know, here's this piece of content, or here we ran into you at this event, or here's a, you know, a dinner that I can invite you to, or here's a partner I can connect you with, you're consistently making those deposits into the bank of that relationship. And over time, that's the thing that really builds up and builds a true genuine relationship that will supersede any contract. That's it's so bang on, and assuming people are still listening and they haven't dropped off to call their mother, uh, you know, I, I think everyone everyone agrees with that. It's something that Anna, you and I talk about so often on this podcast. It's it's the importance of the buyer journey, right? And and mapping out that buyer journey and thinking about content not as this silo that we we just create content to keep fueling an inbound, but we create content to map the different steps and points of engagement. And I think that's that's the exciting level of maturity that we're at with content marketing where, you know, same thing, you know, where product marketing was for a long time. It used to be about educating about your product, you know, through a drip email campaign. But now it's about, you know, what are those, you know, case studies, as, as you said, Tony, that we're going to use at a certain stage versus maybe the industry analytics to hook you in at, at the beginning. So you know, this has been really, really intriguing. It's It's been an awesome conversation. Uh, I, I give you full credit for for reaching out to me, Tony, and, and I'm glad that, that we're at this point in our relationship and hopefully push each other to be better marketers in these ways. If you've got a couple more minutes, we're going to get you to stick around. We'd love to get to know our guests a little bit beyond uh, you know, the podcast and their work resume. So we'll be right back here on Connex. All right, Tony. So we've gotten to know a lot about you professionally. So let's flip over to the personal side. We have a couple of personal questions for you today. The first one is we know that you are a life hacker and that you've been called ruthlessly efficient by several people you've managed over the years, um, thanks to your ability to really optimize and increase efficiency. What is one of your best, like proudest shining moments of life hacking? 
Oh, that's a good question. I feel like I should have done some research or some planning into that. Um, <laughs> you know, I spend I, I spend a lot of time uh, just really looking at, at optimization of, of flows and, and people's time and stuff. And so, you know, we at a previous life, I was doing uh, B2C e-commerce for um, a big Canadian retailer. Um, and we were, our, our email deployment process was just, was just crazy, just absolutely crazy. And it took us like two weeks just to get things wired up and, and do those sorts of things. And so, you know, basically what I did is I, I actually applied the, the four hour work week, uh, Tim Ferriss model to, to the guy that was running our, our e- email operations. And I said, look, if you had to completely outsource this and you only had, you know, four hours a week to actually work, how would you actually go about this? And it really challenged his mindset. You know, he was thinking he could get this thing down from, you know, two weeks to a week and a half or something. And I, I challenged him to get it done in a day. I wanted him to have everything done. You know, if, if something was on your desk, a brief was on your desk at 8 a.m. and you had all the assets and all the tools and everything that you needed, could you get that thing wired and out the door? And, and to the point where, you know, we had this thing where every time an email went out, it was actually a very clear dollar figure attached to that. Um, I said, so if you can do this in a single day, you know, how would you approach it? And so what he did is he found a combination of using some vendor tools and some software automation and some stuff to do sort of, you know, rendering testing and stuff like that. Um, and, and was able to actually get this thing down. So it actually took him less than two hours. Now he could do this stuff and he went from two weeks to two hours in about a span of about three months. And it was literally applying kind of these life hacking techniques about, almost being lazy um, to every workflow and every process. And what, what I think he realized was he was overanalyzing a lot of these things. He was spending a lot of time on these things. He wasn't leveraging these tools. He assumed he had to carry all of the weight on his own shoulders when really he could just make many hands do the light work sort of thing, right? And so... I guess that's where I tried to apply, you know, something that I had personally believed in. And, you know, I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan and been listening to that stuff for a long time and just tried to apply it in from the personal world into the professional side of things. And the results were there. So it was good. Nice. I love um, your whole comment about, you know, the lazy way. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a real Bill Gates quote. It's at least attributed to him a lot about how he says, I choose a lazy person to do a hard job because a lazy person will find an easy way to do it. Um, I feel like that's kind of the life hacking model. Tony, I got one more. Like before we wrap up, I'm curious because you dropped your Canadian roots there, you know, working for Mountain Equipment Co-op which is one of the cool stores to go into for, for our American listeners. And people know that I'm a you know, big, proud Canadian. I uh, talk about it a lot on, on this podcast. You dropped in kind of the get-to-know-you notes that we got that you like hockey. So how are you filling that, that gap in your life being in the Bay Area? Are you a Sharks fan? No, not even a chance. No, um, no. I, you know, I, I, I watched, uh, I watched the Sedins do their last game last night. From a big Canucks fan, always have been. Doesn't matter where I live in the world, it will still be there. I mean, I just, I appreciate the game first, I think, and then you know the team second. I've tried to, you know, we had a lot of a lot of Canucks that ended up going for the Anaheim Ducks, and so the Ducks are maybe a number two up there, but you know. As soon as Kessler and Bieksa and those guys are gone from that team, I mean, the Ducks are just as hated of an enemy as the Sharks would be. So <laughs> that's how I do it. Nice. I love it. I love, uh, I love the loyalty or the, or the following of, of the individuals. Uh, Tony, this was a ton of fun. I, I think we learned a, a ton on this podcast. Uh, we thank you for taking the time. I'm glad we were able to connect after all the fun beginnings that we had. 
For everyone who's enjoyed listening to this podcast, I hope you'll tune in to the other episodes of the Content Experience Show. You can check them out at convertsandconvert.com. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, anywhere you get your podcasts, and especially when you can leave feedback. Let Anna and I know what you'd like to hear better. Until next time, I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip, Anna Iraq from Convince and Convert, and thank you to Tony Holbrook from Ingram Micro Commerce. Thank you. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.